a week or two back, Ruby Frankie, who shared parenting advice and the day-to-day activities of her six children on a one-time very popular YouTube channel, was charged with child abuse. It's an extreme example of the harm caused by parents using their kids for social media contact content. But it raises the question, is it ever okay to share your children's lives publicly? The first wave of social media kids are coming of age and they're forming a movement to protect others from having their young lives immortalised on the internet. Internet and social media commentator Kate Lindsay has written about the issue for The Atlantic and she joins me now. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kim. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell me, and it's it's a different issue because Ruby Frankie is clearly a child abuser and we're not suggesting that people who want to put their kids' lives up on social media have erred to this extent. But just tell me about the Ruby Frankie story, please. Yeah, yeah. So what, what happened is this is a parent um, with, I believe, six children. Um, and she had a previously very popular YouTube channel um, where, like, like you mentioned, she would kind of document the day-to-day lives of her children. Um, and that channel actually has not not been active for for some time um at least i think a year uh for kind of unknown reasons but when it was active um it was frequently sort of would inspire viewers to express concern because they would see or hear things about um ruby as a parent that they they felt uh suggested that um the children were not being treated correctly behind the scenes sort of um frequent uh references to the the children being you know deprived a meal as punishment or you know there's an instance when uh, a daughter was sent to school and forgot her lunch and uh the mother filmed herself kind of talking about how she wasn't going to bring the lunch in um and she hoped that no one was going to feed the daughter the daughter just to be hungry because that's what how she would learn so just be little things like that that would get get documented um and and it made viewers uncomfortable um and and child protective services was contacted before but they didn't find any any evidence um and then the channel kind of goes dark the mother ruby um went on to kind of join a different organization with a business partner who is similarly implicated in what happened recently uh which is uh they they were arrested um for for child abuse um what happened was one of the children um knocked on a neighbor's door uh seemed very emaciated uh, i believe there was a sort of duct tape around their arms like very very kind of harrowing stuff um and what it is about that is that you know it's it's hard to say it, when you add sort of this level of performing for social media documenting your lives um it it's hard to say how does that affect your parenting decisions are are there things that you're doing or saying or um or not thinking about because you're 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 being kind of um influenced by knowing that you're you're filming it you you want to perform to an audience um you want clicks you want views um and and so that's kind of where the the murky ground uh gets and one of the things that i'm just thinking about now sort of uh, as we have this layer of them having been a public figure and those children being very recognizable is that now a lot of this is being litigated 
other accusations are coming up. And what's a shame is that there's already sort of a family going through this trauma. But now, because they were public figures, all this stuff that would be happening somewhat privately is now being written about, being uh, looked into by viewers, and and it, it none of it needed needed to happen. Um, and so it, it's just one way that this sort of tendency to overshare can um, really, you know, I like you said, not not always by any stretch, but sometimes have these just really sinister effects on on a family or on children. It's not only oversharing, is it? It's it's over manipulating mm-hmm. and and nobody knows because the, there's a lot of money at stake here right give us some idea of the uh, evolution of the of the mummy blog which was just right. sharing a community um to yeah. very very lucrative sharenting posts right yeah and so, so many people i've spoken to well so you know mommy blogs are pretty well known um and like they've been they're probably like one of the one of the earliest sort of very popular forms of blogs where um it would just be a mother sh- sharing how they're parenting um and other mothers would turn to it for advice or inspiration but also I know I followed them when I was you know in college and nowhere near becoming a mother um and you know that content is that content is so lucrative um I think because parenting in general it can be very invisible and also parenting Unlike a, an actual job um, that pays you, parenting is a job, but you don't you don't get paid, and you don't really get much validation other than the the child itself. And so, as social media came into play, I think parents learned like one, I can get validation for my parenting in this place, whereas I was not able to get any validation or encouragement before. Um, but then, yes, it is super lucrative. People, um, you know, they can partner with brands or if they're on YouTube, they make money by putting ads up against these videos. Um, and, you know, on platforms like TikTok, they can get paid depending on their views. And I was speaking to a parent recently who said that they were using TikTok solo, but then, and it was like, you know, doing fine. And then when they brought their kid into a video, suddenly they were getting millions of views. And and on these platforms that, that translates to money, it's full-time jobs. Um, it's but it, it's kind of very similar to child actors who um, could start earning money for the family at a very young age. But unlike child actors, um, the children of influencers don't have what in America at least has which is called um, the Coogan Law or Coogan account, where any money a child actor learn, um, earns before they turn 18, um, you know, a percentage of it has to get put away and is kept safe for them. Um, and that's not the case with the the children of creators that that money they don't aren't legally entitled to any of it and um so it goes directly to the family uh and that i think when money gets involved in parenting decisions um it's it it can it's not a good influence illinois i think has been Mm -hmm. the first state to pass a law to protect the earnings of children of influencers yeah this will require parents to put a percentage of gross earnings into a trust. Um, mm-hmm. And this will provide legal protection to children who are featured in what they call monetized online content. I'm wondering how that's going to be policed, however. Yeah, what, so those kind of, there's been several efforts in a few different states, and Illinois is the first successful one. And so the hope is that that will kind of um, uh, domino effect a little bit. But yeah, enforcing it will be interesting and i think what's also interesting about it or is those apply to monetized accounts um but 
if you're not monetizing uh, the your children on social media, but you're still posting them a lot, that child um, still doesn't really have any recourse in, um, in, you know, if they grow up and don't like it anymore, even if they haven't grown up, even if they're children and they don't like it, they technically don't have any right to um, demand it be taken down. There's nothing they can do to enforce it. Um, and so not only is the sort of monetized portion of it, you know, I don't, I imagine that's going to get litigated in very complicated ways with the children kind of growing up and kind of going into legal battle against their parents. But it also is one part of the issue, but it, the sort of the children of parents who are just overshare is for, because that's just how they use social media. Um, there really hasn't been much movement on that part to kind of give them any, any options. They've introduced legislation in Washington state mm-hmm. um, that would also, as well as the earnings issue, would also give children a, a legal avenue to request deletion of content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the first to address the privacy issues, but that's not passed yet, is it? No, no, yeah. And and it's something that when these bills kind of get brought up, it, it is a, like, you know, there's some really great advocacy groups doing work for this. And the the money is one thing, but the right to be able to, when, they're, when they turn 18, um, demand things be taken down is another huge part of it that um, I think similarly is just no one's quite sure how to like who who when when that happens whose responsibility is it is it the state is it the company the tech company itself um it's very complicated but it's worth figuring out now because you know as we're kind of saying the this is just the beginning of the children coming of age and these are children who grew up on social media in a time when it was not it was you know it was still clearly there was a lot of potential for oversharing but the social media environment we're in now with with TikTok especially, um, uh, th- those children are still children. And when they come of age, this issue is only going to be even more contentious. And so it's worth kind of nailing that stuff down now before it gets even more of, uh, of a mess. Some parents are saying, oh, well, yes, I realize that I might have invaded my children's privacy, so now I disguise their faces with emoji. Mm-hmm. That, it may protect their privacy to some extent, but it doesn't address the issue of... I mean, there are some kids whose whole lives must be a performance, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's sort of, you know, it varies from parent to parent. And I also like, and I, I think this is mentioned up top, like, you know, in sharing your, your child with your child on social media is not inherently evil. Um, but it is, it's one, it's more just one of those slippery slopes where when you bring in the ways that we now all know social media really gets into sort of the the psyche of our brain in terms of tapping little reward systems that are, that resemble gambling and the way they kind of so, so social media likes and engagement can motivate us to post certain things or behave in certain ways. Um, when you bring a child into that, a child can very easily become a prop. And like you said, it's you know, hiding their face is always, you know, always appreciated, I think. But, um, but it's more, yeah, it's about what, re- what are you teaching your child about the, what a relationship with social media should look like if they're kind of only used as, as a prop or, or kind of encouraged to perform in certain ways. Um, you know, it, that creates a, a, a troubling dynamic between you and the child. But also I think it's worth considering the dynamic that that child's then going to have with their own social media uh, because they're going to mimic what they were raised on. And and if it's a relationship that's very performative or very oversharing or just toxic in any way, um, that's something that's being 
the groundwork is being laid for by how their parents are treating social media with them. Mm. And someone also pointed out that, quite simply, it will make them constantly aware of what other people are thinking of them. Right. Yes, that's something that having spoken to some of the, um, you know, social media babies, uh, that that's a big thing. The thing that has stuck with them now that they've grown up is just a real, um, they're, they're very protective of their own privacy and also just very wary, very wary of the things they're saying, getting taken out of context or, or that their image doesn't belong to them anymore. Like I know some of them are very uncomfortable having pictures taken of them when they're not like aware or ready. Um, and, and, you know, the, the thought that maybe something they say or do, there's this inner, this inner voice. It's like, wait, is there a way that someone could take that and turn it around and use it on the internet? And it's not something that I think anyone, there's not too much um, for people who are adults now to really liken that experience to. And so it's kind of hard to think about, but I think um, the closest comparison is just when, you know, thinking back to when you were a teenager, maybe making statuses on MySpace or on um, Facebook and they're so cringy now. It's just like, imagine that that digital footprint was there, but before you were even able to use a computer or type and before you would, you know, you won't even have any memory of it. You've been looking at the case of a young woman called Cam Barrett, um, who yeah. is one of the people who's pushing for the legislation she helped push for the Illinois and indeed the Washington state legislation. What was her experience? Yeah, so Cam has become, uh, she started speaking out about her experience on TikTok, which is how I found her. And kind of in the months or even years since, she's become a really vocal advocate in this space because um, she's 24 now. But when she was a child, her mother, her mother was not an influencer or a creator, um, which I think is what makes uh, her case so interesting. Her mother was a regular kind of parent, just like just like any other, but um, who was new to Facebook um, and perhaps as a lot of people weren't at the time, she, the mother wasn't quite aware of just how public social media could be. So she would accept every friend request um, and, and had a large audience of strangers. And then also at the same time, really used Facebook as a scrapbook for Cam. Um, but to the point of, you know, Cam's medical issues or a car crash she was in or just um, just day to day kind of unflattering information that can you know, arise when you're raising a child, but being shared with them with a large audience. And um, as Cam grew up and was going through school, the her mother's oversharing would come back to her because children in that her classmates would be aware of like, you know, um, at one point uh, over the summer, I believe she had sort of been dealing with MRSA, but um, which is, you know, like a skin condition, uh, but she had gotten better. But because her mother had posted about it, the news had gotten to her classmates when she was in school, they didn't want to sit near her. Like even the teacher kind of made her sit in a sort of um, isolated desk. Um, and and it was just instances of the, like, instances like that over and over again of just came, like her life, Cam's life was just getting posted online without her having any control over it. And she also, because it's her mother, it was very difficult to kind of um, to a- address the topic or or to ask her mother to take it down. And the conversations that she's had since. Um, her mother has not really understood uh, sort of why it was wrong. And it's sort of as a, as a result, um, her and Cam don't really have much of a relationship. And uh, Cam's kind of using using what happened to her to, to kind of be a voice for 
like presumably the many other children who are coming to similar realizations and some of the things I mentioned about being really protective over her image or being really self-conscious about the things that she says being weaponized against her online. Um, those are all things that, that Cam told me she feels now after kind of growing up um, with with just her life being taken taken away from her, put online, and there was nothing she could do about it. If a parent overshares online, can the parent take all that down? Or is it always going to be out there forever? So the parent can take it, take, can absolutely take it down. Um, and it just sort of is depends on the platform that they're using. Um, something that when I was writing this piece, I was speaking to the Family Online Safety Institute just about kind of, okay, where, where do we go from here? And they recommend just with children having it be just always an open conversation that maybe if you want to post a photo one day, the child is like, yep, that's great. And then maybe even the next day, they're like, you know what, I don't want that up anymore. And the parent kind of has to be receptive to being like, okay, and they can take it down. Um, They can, yeah, they can certainly go through and um, remove, remove images from Facebook, from Instagram, um, or they can sort of sort of get ahead of that and, and use social media a little differently when it comes to posting their children. There's some parents will make dedicated private Instagram accounts for their children where they'll just add friends and family and they'll just post the photos there. And that kind of keeps it as a nice closed loop um, using things like stories, Instagram stories, th- those disappear and just exercising judgment in terms of um, what it is you're sharing. Like um, it, it, it is, is, is this for you or for, for them? And, or if there's a moment that gives you pause, like I think a classic example is just sharing a child either in a bathtub or, or having a tantrum, just things that you're sharing from the perspective of a parent. But now that we know that sort of every person is kind of grows up and assumes a, a social media identity of their own, um, is that something, is that an identity they would want to um, inherit? And, and, and so just having that second thought, keeping an open conversation, going back and deleting if you feel uncomfortable or if they feel uncomfortable, and just being mindful of the audience um, to kind of prevent if there are ever you know, it, things that are you regret, um, that they don't, you know, spread far and wide. They don't end up in the search results of like that child's future employer, which is another thing that kind of has prompted this conversation. I was reading an article where a man who put a lot of um, pictures and videos of his kids online to the extent that they became TikTok stars. He had a an epiphany and during a family trip to Disneyland he noticed that his children weren't enjoying themselves instead they seemed to be searching for a camera to look into and waiting for cues on what to say and do kids couldn't be kids anymore and so he took it upon himself to privatize his children as it were but that's, you know, that's a sad thing, isn't it? Maybe that's just what the modern world is doing to kids, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I've spoken to similar creators who were, it, it's a hard, it's a really hard moment when their whole, not only, you know, like brand and as we talk about income kind of depends on posting this way. And I do think it's really, um, it's a difficult and like courageous decision when, since this conversation has started happening to to take it all down, to notice what's happening and to, to acknowledge, oh, this is wrong. Like my, my children are kind of performing or I've done something to their, to how they think they need to behave and it's not good. Um, 
to that the parent then then does listen take it all down takes that sort of hit like someone i was speaking to they they lost hundreds of thousands of followers when they made this choice they like they had like i think it was like eight brand deals in the works and and all of them all the brands dropped out when they found out the kids weren't being posted anymore um like it's not a it's not an easy switch to flip um but i do think yeah when you see when you see the ways that just the the little ways that growing up the child growing up can feel like they need to perform kind of like i was saying earlier you you see how a parent's relationship with social media is going to inform a child's relationship with social media and and it is worth it to when you if you notice like oh this is not a good relationship this is one that's kind of inauthentic or feeling the need to perform and you know most of all taking away from an authentic childhood where they're at Disney World and they're not just enjoying it they're 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 still thinking about social media that's a that's a real kind of um red flag and so it, it's 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 sad that it gets to that point but it's also good that that's being recognized and um and hopefully now with this decision being made sort of things can things can get back on track for the for the children i guess some of the legislation will involve consent of the children but i'm not sure how that can be yeah. enforced because if you're a kid in a house with you know the parents in charge how do you consent freely right that yeah that's something that i think is a little tricky because it's going to be it's always going to be hard to say no to your parents it's always going to be hard to tell your parents especially like oh i don't i don't like what you're doing um which is you know why kind of going back to what the um the family online safety institute was saying like it just it's incumbent upon the parent to make sure they've created a really open environment where the child can feel comfortable expressing those um those thoughts and and keep it being an open conversation that can change day to day uh but yeah i think it's really hard for any any child especially when they see what they're doing which is like performing for social media when they see that that makes their parents happy that's that that's what they want they want their parents to be happy and so really it's you know consent from a child in this scenario can only mean so much it really is up to the parents to create an environment where um where where a child can feel can feel comfortable really sharing how they feel about this and and the parent makes sure that they're not sort of accidentally encouraging this kind of relationship so i mean in europe there's the right to be forgotten where hmm. an individual can say you know i don't want any of my information to be brought up. That should be easy enough to imitate by the United States, right? You don't have that yet. No, yeah, we don't. That Yeah, and that's come up when I've been talking about this because, yeah, we really don't have that. Just in general, if there's something out there about you online that you don't want out there, you really don't have much re- recourse, um, like, legally. Uh, and and so that that's sort of, I think, it can feel like we're in uncharted territory because it's social media and it's very dystopian. But, you know, with things like the Coogan law and then with things like the right to be forgotten, there are precedents out there for ways we can move forward. And I think the big issue in America is kind of the, the hurdle that these sort of bills have been facing in states is that they're they're falling upon uh, lawmakers who are not social media savvy. They're not familiar with it. And so they, they don't quite understand, like, why this is an important issue. Um and and so that's a big part is just getting people, getting lawmakers um, into Congress, uh, either who are already sort of literate in social media and what a family vlogger is and what influencers are, um, and just kind of uh, working in other ways to sort of 
get get it to be taken seriously by people who even if they're not familiar with sort of it as a platform this isn't going away this is only going to be more of a problem and so there are blueprints or you know roadmaps like the right right to be forgotten um that i think the u.s can certainly turn to it's just a matter of getting awareness um in across all states and and really making sure it's understood by the people making laws like why this is important and why this isn't just sort of a a niche problem this is something that's only going to become more relevant i don't know what your situation is do you have any skin in this game either as a parent (laughs) either as a parent or as an exploited child no, no, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm not a parent. I am a cat parent, but um, <laughs> that, that the issue doesn't quite apply to them. Um, and no, luckily, I'm, I grew up pretty, um, you know, my parents would, I, I was still very much firmly in like a, a photo book era. Um, but I think I personally grew up very online from a young age. And so kind of was mentioning earlier, I can, I can empathize. I I can't imagine what it feels like in its entirety, but I can empathize with it from my own experiencing having been posting online since I was probably 11 years old. Um, and, and I've had that experience now over and over again, where I see something from a long time ago and I'm embarrassed by the decision to post it or just cringed out by me being kind of lame. Um, and I've gone back and deleted it. And, and I think, you know, I'm just thinking, if I if I have a digital footprint that I've been managing since I was around eleven, how I I think the fact that I, you know, I have some but nowhere near the footprint of children today ha- has made has just made me very aware of um, how how absolutely unprecedented and frightening it must be. And and I'm just always you know I write about the internet. I'm very interested in the ways that the internet is changing. Um, the ways we are as humans in and and not just sort of what's happening on our screen, but sort of to the people who are using the phones. How is it changing, you know, what what we previously like took for granted as normal about life? And I think parenting and childhood is probably one of the most affected areas by the introduction of social media. More than legislation, I'm wondering whether um, opprobrium and judgment of other mm-hmm. people might quell the trend because, you know, there's a there's a large amount of just particularly in the wake of the Ruby Frankie case. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I think that's honestly been the the reason that the this message has spread is because you know like I I wrote this piece about it, but I I was certainly not the first one sounding the alarm. There have been a lot of um, there's some ad like many advocates online. There's Cam, but then there's someone on TikTok. Her name is Mom Uncharted, um, and her ca- account is entirely dedicated to this conversation. Um, and then there are, you know, I've noticed just there'll be creators. Sort of one I was speaking to was um, he was saying almost as soon as he was family vlogging, he was getting comments from people being like, "Hey, I don't think you should be showing your children in this way," or like, "Have you thought about this?" And so um, it really has. It, I think the way it will mostly change is obviously legislation is, is one part of it, but to just sort of socially, culturally um, enforce what is and isn't acceptable. And and I think the big thing is just even if we can just, if every parent now thinks twice, is a little bit more thoughtful, is aware that this could happen, um, I think that alone will, will, do, will do wonders because I think the issue before is that it's not necessarily that these parents were you know, cartoon villains, they just, there just wasn't an awareness of the way that social media was going to still be around 
and in fact be even more prevalent. They they couldn't have anticipated and now we know it's still gonna be around, but you know, ten years from now, we don't know what it's gonna look like. It could be even more of um dominating force in our lives and with that in mind, wouldn't it be good with our own children to be mindful of that now that we've seen what can happen with a much sort of lower tech generation. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think it is happening and there are lots of people stepping up or speaking out or just sort of working to enforce it in conversations. And I do think we're going to start to see a change. Also, I mean, some people talk about, they start off putting little bits of their kids' lives on social media, but then it becomes like an addiction. And mm-hmm. they can't stop, and it gets more and more, and that, and they don't feel that anything's real unless they post about it. Oh yeah, and that, I felt that just with my own life. And so when you bring children into it, I mean, you know, like I was saying, it's so hard, especially motherhood. It, motherhood is so thankless, and I think and lonely. Yeah, and lonely. And so when you're, especially when you're spending those hours, sort of doing the work of raising a child and you want to turn to the internet for advice or you just want uh you want sympathy or you want praise for for something it's such an understandable understandable impulse and and yeah like you said like you post it and you get that validation or that feedback that you otherwise weren't getting in this kind of um lonely part of life and it's totally understandable that even without you knowing your brain would start to be like okay if i do that i feel good i feel i feel better like and, you know, if my kid, you, you start to notice like, oh, when my kid does this, people seem to like it more. And, and it's those little, those little seeds that can get planted that can then kind of grow into the, a, a larger issue. Um, and it, it's understandable, but it, it's one of those problems where it's like, okay, how can we, let's, let's not say like, you know, you're evil or that you can't post anyone at all or anything like that. But okay, now that we know this could go somewhere bad, what are some steps we can take? Okay, we can limit the audience, make it a private account, um, cover the face, things like that. So, you know, it's not saying people need to just completely go silent, but it, it is the way social media can, can kind of trick you and then get you to post more. And then and exactly what you're saying, where it's not real unless you post it. I think that's a feeling that so many people feel. And parents, I imagine, benefit from that social media validation even more so. Really good to talk to you. Thank you, Kate. Kate Lindsay is a journalist. Uh, She's been writing about the social media kids, the generation of social media kids. Uh, But she is, in general, an internet and social media commentator.